Hey everybody, my name is Kyla. Welcome to my channel where we talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Today we're going to be talking about the Federal Reserve meeting and the idea of uncertainty. Also look at my little mug, 92 Midnight Running Club. We do it in the dark. This is actually relevant to the Federal Reserve conversation because one time Jerome Powell said that they were navigating the stars by stormy skies. Basically the idea that the Federal Reserve is navigating a huge amount of uncertainty. So the Federal Reserve came out in their meeting yesterday and they were like, listen, you know, we're not going to hike rates anymore. The general vibe was, hey, we've done it. We've managed to achieve inflation going down. We've managed to still have the labor market be steady, still have managed to have the economy remain growing. All of these things have somehow happened, despite it all, right? And of course, Jerome Powell can't come out and be like, hey, buddy, <laughs> look at me. I did it. He can't really do that. But this Fed meeting was kind of him doing that. Basically, the Federal Reserve has been operating as everybody has been in this world of mass uncertainty. Like nobody really knows what's going on. It's a very confusing time. The Fed in the meeting yesterday, the press conference, you know, they were like, we've managed to get inflation down. We've managed to keep the labor market steady. We've managed to keep the economy growing. And because of that, we're going to cool it. You know, we're not going to hike rates anymore. If anything, we're going to cut rates. And there's actually 75 basis points of cuts priced in for 2023. And the reason that this is important is because that means the markets are going to start partying. We're already seeing, you know, big, dumb tech stocks go up. We're seeing stupid crypto coins begin to pump again. What the Federal Reserve is doing by saying, like, listen, we're going to maybe cut rates. Oh, maybe maybe, is really like we're a little bit more restrictive than we should be considering where inflation is at. This is not them saying that the economy needs to be saved. It's just saying like, hey, listen, we're going to get closer to the neutral rate where the economy is operating, where we don't feel like we're being too restrictive, where we're saying, hey, everybody slow it down. We don't feel like we're being too accommodative, where we're saying, hey, everybody speed up a little, the economy is for curl. It's more so that the Fed is like, okay, we've done our job here and now it's time to return to normal. And what's interesting about next year is that it's an election year. And Federal Reserve Chair Joan Powell was asked about this yesterday, you know, like, hey, dude, it's an election year. How are you feeling? And he was like, listen, we're going to do what we need to do with Federal Reserve. We're pseudo-governmental, pseudo-governmental, however you say it. And we're just going to, you know, if we feel like we have to start hiking rates again, we're going to do that. And of course, it's a little bit easier to say that now versus when you're in the heat of the fire. But this was a Federal Reserve in the meeting yesterday that was like, everybody has been wrong including us, and we're just going to respond to the economy as it comes forth. Jerome Powell said something sort of funny in an interview previous to this, where he said, for me, a big, big party, and I mean this is as fun as it gets, is a really good inflation report, which is very relatable. The idea here is that Jerome Powell, the other members of the FOMC are looking around, they're like, okay, we have managed to get inflation down. We had a good PCE print, the personal consumption expenditures, which is the inflation print that the Fed likes to look at. CPI came in decent. The labor market is still doing okay. The economy is still growing. And that's why they're like, we're likely at peak rates for this cycle is because we're likely at peak rates for this cycle. Everything is kind of where it needs to be right now. And of course, you know, I posted a video talking about how the Fed has done what they set out to do. And there's this discourse happening on Twitter, of course, right now, where this person, he's like the character of the day, but he's talking about how expensive it is to order DoorDash from Outback Steakhouse, how expensive it is to get a steak and blooming onions 
delivered to your door. And there's a couple of interesting things here that I want to pull out. Number one, the fact that you're giving a steak delivered to your house is incredible. Not only from like the idea of getting a steak delivered, but the fact that you're getting a steak delivered to you, like door dashing it to your door. Amazing. But this person is like, it's really expensive and I don't like that. And this is something that I talked about in the video last week, where it's this idea that people are really mad that labor has gotten so expensive. And I made a couple of TikToks on this this week talking about, you know, this idea that affluence can't be subsidized like it used to be because we're not in that zero interest rate environment anymore. But I think that's part of the reason that people are so mad is because labor is expensive because, you know, part of, part of it is companies passing off prices, passing off wage increases to consumers saying, okay, we're going to pay the people at Outback Steakhouse a little bit more. Your blooming onions are going to be a little bit more expensive. Sorry. And maybe part of that is some price gouging saying we got to keep our profit margins up. But then a part of that is we've gotten used to this really weird world where it is possible to get a steak delivered to your house, where that, could, that should be like an expensive thing, but we've gotten very used to having affluence subsidized. Jerome Powell was asked in the meeting yesterday about why people feel mad. He was asked a vibe session question without using the word directly, but he was still asked about the vibes of the economy. And he said price levels are not coming down. And even though inflation is going down and people don't like the fact that price levels aren't going down, but he also emphasized that real wages are outgrowing inflation. So we're kind of in this world where people got really used to things being inexpensive and now labor costs are starting to rise and that makes people mad. It's just very indicative of how people feel about how things should cost and maybe that we don't have a calibration for how things should be because as I spoke about in the piece last week, lower income consumers are experiencing wage increases for the first time in a really long time and that's going to make things like getting steak delivered to your house more expensive. And so the Fed had this meeting, you know, they were talking about how they've managed uncertainty, you know, no longer the skies as stormy and cloudy as it used to be. We have a little bit more confidence about where the economy is heading as long as there's no big shocks like a global pandemic. But it's very interesting because, uh, you know, as I, I think about the vibes all the time, I've been having a lot of conversations about the vibes. The vibes have been coming up uh, across the board. I just think a lot of it is uncertainty reduction, which makes a lot of sense. And I ran with my friend Steph this morning. It was a great run. But we were talking about this idea of uncertainty in the foundation of trust and how most people don't like feeling uncertain. And that makes a lot of sense. You kind of like knowing what you're walking into. You kind of like knowing that the day to day is going to be the same. And that's why inflation is so painful is because you go to the grocery store and all of a sudden bananas are like $12. And you're like, ah, of course they're not actually $12. But things that used to be the way that they were are no longer the way that they are. I think the American consumer is facing a lot of uncertainty, especially going into an election year. And there really isn't a foundation of trust to manage that. There isn't a way for us to look to leadership and say, okay, we kind of know that they're going to navigate this boat okay. I promise this is all related. Netflix released this report called What We Watched, and everyone was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen The Night Agent. I have no idea what show that is, but 800 million hours watched of this show that a lot of people were like, I've never seen it. Matthew Ball wrote this really great piece talking about what it takes to make a successful media enterprise, and a lot of the times it's these shows that aren't going to get really nominated for a Golden Globe, they're not going to be ultra successful, but it's something that people can use to kind of tune out the world 
to be pretty certain that they know what's going to happen in this show. That's why reality TV is so popular. Shows like Love is Blind is because it gives people a, a numbing effect. I think that the way that we're dealing with uncertainty right now, and the Netflix list kind of showed this, is that we're using media as a numbing effect. We're getting on TikTok, we're watching these shows that maybe aren't the best shows ever, and we're saying, okay, I'm just going to turn off my brain for a second. I'm just going to tune in and, and chill out and try not to think about anything. And Matthew Ball also wrote about this thing called the Nickelback effect, where it's we really like trashy things. We like things that aren't good. And I think part of the reason that we like things that aren't good is because we know that they're going to be bad. And so when you tune into a reality TV show, you're like, okay, I know this isn't going to be the best show ever, but I know that it's going to provide me some sort of solace, some sort of chilling out. And there's this quote from McCall Bakhtin, who is talking about how important it is to see yourself within others. And he wrote, by looking through the screen of the other's soul, I vivify my exterior. And I think that we're using media and we're using these trash TV shows as a way to see ourselves. And I think that we're using media and we're using these trashy TV shows as a way to have a support system. I, and I've talked about this a lot, like the idea of the loneliness crisis, the idea of the friendship recession. People don't feel like they maybe have the support systems that leads to more uncertainty. You know, the suburbization of everything, how we're just sort of isolated within our own spheres. And I think all of that leads to more uncertainty and that leads to a crumbling of the foundation of, of trust. And the other thing that we talked about on the run was cognition versus metacognition. So cognition is, of course, thinking, like having thoughts, having knowledge. And then metacognition is thinking about your thoughts. And I've been having a lot of conversations recently about meaning and matter and, and being. And half of the value of these sorts of conversations is just testing the ideas out loud. You're constantly being bombarded with all sorts of information information that can lead to more uncertainty. I, I read this book called A Visit from the Goon Squad, and there's a sequel, prequel, sort of, it's like a continuation of the series, and it's Candy House. And within Candy House, time is actually somewhat of a character. So the author is Jennifer Egan, incredible author, but she's using time as a way to thread the, the characters together. It's sort of funny because I'm reading Memory Wall by Anthony Dewar at the same time. And both of them are like, what does it look like to actually go back to your memories? Because memories themselves can be quite subjective. We all remember things in a different way than maybe how they truly happen because they're influenced by our emotion, they're influenced by our biases. And it gets into the idea of nostalgia, which I've talked about in previous episodes as well, just how we reminisce sometimes and sometimes what we're reminiscing on isn't exactly what happened. We tend to paint a very rosy picture over what it was. And part of the reason that we do that is to minimize uncertainty. I think that's a big thematic of everything that's going on in the economy right now is that we're trying to minimize uncertainty and that's why people are so upset. Obviously, and obviously there's real hard economic reality that comes with people being upset. Like, you know, people are worried about rent payments. They're worried about health insurance. They're worried about the cost of food. I'm not trying to reduce the actual reality of what people are experiencing but I think that 
what we're sort of living through is this time of mass uncertainty. And of course, you know, you could argue it's always been this way. But I do think with the advent of AI, with the constant noise of social media, with the weirdness of whatever the heck we just went through through the past few years with what happened with the pandemic, everybody is trying to minimize uncertainty as best they can. And the only way that you can really minimize uncertainty is by returning to what you know, which is your memories. But oftentimes your memories are a subjective interpretation of of what you went through. And so going back to that idea about cognition versus metacognition, we kind of have to think about how we're thinking about the economy because it is a reflection, I think, of people trying to say, I don't like how this is right now and I'm just going to shut down because I'm uncertain and I'm I'm worried. So yeah, the Fed is minimizing uncertainty. We're minimizing uncertainty in our interactions with the economy. None of this is relevatory. I just think that we're seeing it more and more. Like the Bloom and Onion story is somebody saying, I don't know what's going to happen next. And that's just life, right? But I do think that it is difficult. It's just going to get weird going into the election year. And there's no foundation of trust to fall back on beyond our individual communities. We have to begin to rely on support systems and there has to be a thinking about thinking sort of moment. And of course, there's a poem that I like called In the Meantime by Tom Hirons. Meanwhile, flowers still bloom, the moon rises and the sun, babies smile and somewhere against all the odds, two people are falling in love. Strangers share cigarettes and jokes. Light plays on the surface of water. Grace occurs on unlikely streets and we hold each other fast against entropy, the fires, and the flood. Life leans towards living. And while death claims all things at the end, there were such precious times between in which everything was radiant and we loved again this world. Life leans towards living. And that is the only certainty we have. Thanks so much for hanging out. This one was way too philosophical, probably, but I hope that you enjoyed it. Hope that you're doing okay out there. And I'll talk to you very soon.